Hello and welcome to the Halloween special for pilot season. I kind of switched these episodes around to do something semi-spooky for Halloween, just so we have a kind of across the network doing some, some Halloween stuff. This is a piece of original fiction I'm going to read. It's a short story I wrote. Um, it has horror elements. It's not explicitly um, entirely horror, but uh, yeah. For Halloween. So this is a story called Early Frost Warning. It's not even air anymore. It's like driving through a soggy cloud. Horace crumples around the steering wheel of his clay-colored hatchback and leans forward, the top of the wheel bristling his mustache. One good wiper and one vent capable of only luke-cold air. How is that fair? Cold. Very cold for late September, and I can't even get the heat working properly in this shipmobile. Wouldn't be surprised if we had frost tonight. It's going to fuck my tomatoes. The cold air from the vent numbed his fingers, so he flipped the cover, but that meant cloudy windows. The result of all this breathing. It's like I'm shellacking the glass with my breath. Fuck. He grips the end of his sleeve and rubs the window in front of him, creating a peephole onto the road, and turns the heat back on. Temporary solutions to permanent problems. Story of my life. My radio doesn't even work anymore. He coughs into his shoulder coming down with something. What brought me here? What decisions resulted in this? Commuting back to Shabanaugh from Chicago at five o'clock in the goddamn morning, the bleak, sun-starved, wintry grip of September, and on a Sunday, no less, the only car on Route 30, the only guy working at Crawford & Sons who commutes, and overnight. Overnight is for guys who got straight C's in shop, guys the army won't even take. Not for me. I'm smart. I'm just not Horace coughs so hard that his forehead aches. Bits of spittle fleck the windshield. Where did I go wrong? Good grades towards a worthless degree and I can't interview for shit. It's like there's only so much human dignity and way too many human beings. I read something about good-looking people being more successful, but it's not how I look, right? Horace looks in the rearview mirror. The brown backlight of his glasses frame his piercing blue eyes perfectly. Piercing eyes. Everyone tells me that. Everyone says they notice when I'm looking at them. Megan said it too. She used to always tell me that... What's that? Shit. Crash. Music? The impact is like someone hitting a glass kettle drum, and too brief to sound wet, but later, when he would remember it, Horace imagined it sounding like when Rocky was training in the meat locker. In the moment, though, he barely notices it, his brain exploding. Do I turn into the skid or away? Did I hit the brake or the gas just now? Please, be a deer, be an elk, be a dog. The car stops and Horace stops with it. There's blood on his glasses and part of his lip is torn. He runs his tongue back and forth over the gap, tasting copper. When he looks up, he sees a column of steam through his windshield, the glass patterned like a dream catcher, and there are voices all around him, talking about an early frost warning. He steps out of the hatchback. There's a sound to the right, coming from a ditch, and as he walks towards it, the fog parts like stage curtains, revealing a broken boy. The boy makes animal sounds, like a cat getting sick, and there's red on the ground and in Horace's mouth. And there's red on the boy. Did that, make, did that make my radio work? It was the first thing he said out loud in several days, and his voice catches in his throat. The WNIJ DJs talk about a bad year for tomatoes. Well, I've never seen another car at this hour. No one is going to see. I'll be okay. Horace shuffles down in the ditch and starts orbiting the boy. Are you, you okay? 
chokes the boy quietly. The boy lies on his side, his head resting on a log, his body on a bed of leaves. Looks like a Halloween decoration. Don't even know what's wrong. A lot of bleeding from his head, but that always happens, right? Lots of blood there, easy to bleed. He could just be knocked out. Anonymous call to 911? Mm, they'll have my number. I don't even know where there's still a payphone anymore. Can I make a sign? He pops the hatch of his car. Why did this have to happen? I don't have anything to make a sign. Where would I put one? What would I write? Sick kid, please stop. I don't think I could deal with the police and firefighters and sirens. Not now. I'll take him home and he'll be fine. Can't risk anyone seeing him in the car. What if I get pulled over? He walks back to the boy. I thought I had a concussion once. Went to the ER and they said it was minor and I should just go home. Can you believe that? Come on. Horace kneeled and scooped the boy up in his arms. It's just a short ride. You'll be okay. After arriving at his apartment complex, Horace gets out and surveys the lot. Early Sunday morning. No one out, like I figured. Gotta be quick, though. He retrieves the boy from the back of his car. Now that I look at him closely, he's not even a boy anymore, is he? He's a teen, a young man. Horace carries him up the stairs and enters the first door on the left, apartment 4C. The apartment is a mess. Male and tall stacks on the kitchen counter, coffee table, plates, bowls, and paper towels, paperbacks and precarious towers next to the couch. He carries the teen past a sheet hung with nails into the dark bedroom. You can stay in here and I'll sleep on the couch. If you don't feel better in a couple days, I'll take you to the doctor, okay? You'll be okay. I have to check on something. Horace gently lowers the kid onto his bed and walks out onto his tiny deck. Hanging off the railing is a planter box with four tomato plants. The vines are dark green, bordering on brown, and leaves litter the soil bed. He leans in close to one plant in particular, which features a brown spot the size of a penny. Copper-colored oil beads to the top of the lesion, and a tiny green vine is poking out of its center. It smells sweet. Damn, is it too late? I should cover you guys. I didn't think to buy any sheeting, though. I don't want to leave. He looks down at the collapsed hood of his car. Someone will notice that. I'll grab the car cover. That's one benefit of never living somewhere with a garage. After looking around and covering the car, Horace coughs hard into his hand and wipes something copper-colored onto his pants. I'm tired. Rough day. Back to the bedroom. Horace searches the pockets of the teen, but only finds a few dollars. Who are you? The boy is young, but not too young. Maybe 17. He's got a gray hoodie and jeans, the suggestion of a mustache on his lip. Gray hoodie, gray car, gray fog. You were practically invisible, weren't you? His brown hair is pasted to a cut in his head. His eyes are closed, and he breathes slow and deep in a fugue rhythm. I'm going to clean you up a bit, and then I'm going to bed. I'll bet you'll be okay tomorrow. I'm going to call you Ben, just until you can talk. I've, I've never met a Ben I didn't like. Before going to bed, Horace spends time on his laptop, looking up concussions and tomatoes. As he's typing, when his right middle finger strikes the I key, his fingernail cracks and part of it falls off, slipping underneath the keys. Underneath is a brown spot with copper-colored oil beating to the surface. It smells sweet. Strange. That should hurt more. 
I'll take care of it in the morning. Hey, hey, Jerry, this is Horace. <clears throat> he coughs, ragged and violent. Yeah, I'm coming down with something. You know this, this early cold? Yeah, something is going around. I'm sure I'll be okay tomorrow. Okay, sorry. Bye. Horace puts down the phone and inspects his finger. The entire nail has fallen off now. He wipes oil off his finger with a nearby napkin, walks out to his deck. Three tomatoes now, and more leaves on the soil. The first tomato rests in a pool of oil on the bed of the planter, its surface mottled with brown, shiny skin. More tiny vines have sprouted, reaching up to the other tomatoes. Poor babies. He rotates the remaining fruit and finds the second has a large chunk missing. Underneath, surrounded by juice and seeds, there's a hard white spot. He touches it, rubs his finger along it, and it makes a squeaking sound. Huh. He drags a chair from the kitchen into the bedroom. How are you feeling today, Ben? Any better? The teen breathes, slow and deep and unmoving. I cleaned you up all right, though. Hydrogen peroxide and everything. No infections. To be honest, I'm not feeling good either. I decided to stay home. He gets up and walks over to his dresser, picks up a framed picture of an average-looking girl. If I have to go back to work, Megan can look after you. <laughs> not really, of course. It, she moved back to Rockford in February. We agreed it wasn't working. No one's fault, you know, just that we'd be better off. He puts the picture back, face down. Sorry to be so open. It's been a while since I've talked to anyone. Near the end, I was fantasizing about breaking up. I would see girls at work or at the store, and maybe they'd smile and look away, and I'd think, I could date that person. In another life, me and that girl would be playing skee-ball or would read to one another on Sundays. And then I'd come home to Megan and we'd barely talk. So we decided to end it, both of us, but we'd stay friends. I mean, she was part of my life for seven years. I can't just turn that off. I thought it'd be great, but I'll tell you. Horace turns the boy's head to face him. Listen, she moved out in February, and I didn't move here until July. I spent five months in that house in DeKalb, surrounded by our stuff. I'm not stupid. I know to put everything I knew would mess me up in a box and put it in storage. You know, like gifts and photo booth pictures and the ring. I'm talking about regular stuff like cups she would use or the stupid bed we bought. To tell you the truth, I've slept on the couch for months. I can't eat. <coughs> Horace coughs and pauses, mouth open, and furrows his brow. He reaches into his mouth and pulls out a tooth and holds it in front of his eyes. There are tiny black hairs growing out of it. Oh my god. Have you ever seen anything like this? He rushes to the bathroom and opens wide in front of the mirror. Several molars have tiny black hairs snaking out of them. Another one is loose, and he plucks it from his jaw. Underneath is an oily brown spot. What is this? Not now. Why is this happening to me? He stares at his piercing eyes in the mirror for a full minute before returning to the bedroom. Am I balding? He returns to the bedroom. Quite a pair we are. If you don't get better in a couple of days, we're both going to the hospital. Until then, get some rest. Let me give you some water, and I'll see you tomorrow. Before falling asleep, he reads about tomatoes and skee-ball on his laptop.
Horace leaves a nest of greasy brown hair on his pillow when he gets up to check on his tomatoes. The vines are brown now, bordering on black, and only two fruits still cling to the vine. The first has dissolved into a puddle of copper oil bubbling slowly in the dirt. The second rests in wet bits under the plant, and on the tip of the vine a single tooth covered with tiny black hairs. The third plant hangs heavy, bloated, more like a bag full of juice than a fruit, and the fourth shrivels. Poor babies. Cough, cough. He grabs the phone. Jerry. Yeah, this is Horace. I'm sorry. Well, Carol had it for a week, right? (laughs) Probably gave it to me. I'm sorry. I'll try to make it in tomorrow. He picks up his laptop and limps into the bedroom. Ben, listen to this thing I read online. If the frost lasted for more than a few minutes and dipped below freezing, your uncovered tomato plants will not survive. There's nothing you can do to save the actual plant. In a couple of days, it will wilt and die. At that time, it will stop providing nutrients to the tomatoes on the vine. Isn't that a shame? I'm afraid there's no hope for my babies out there. Fucking frost. He sits down. How are you feeling today? You're looking a little better. Some color had returned to the young man's face. Can't say the same thing about me. Horace looked at the mirror at his headboard. Balding. Almost bald. I haven't been paying enough attention. It looks like even my eyebrows are thinning. Another tooth is loose. Three nails left. Getting old. You know what she said to me once? After she moved? I would call and we'd get into fights, which is weird because we never fought when we were together. She said, Horace, you're just mad because you're not young anymore. Can you believe that? After she moved, I used to have this fantasy. I worked at Target and I'd take the same bus home every day to that big, empty apartment. I'd think sometimes, what if there was some sort of, I don't know, Twilight Zone bus that would take me back in time. I'd get on the bus and pay my fare and just end up back in time, just a normal night with Megan. We'd make pasta and put on a DVD. We didn't have to have sex or write poetry or go out anywhere. We'd just hang out and kiss goodnight and go to bed, you know? And then I'd go to work the next day, and when I got on the bus, I'd go back to the empty apartment. I just wanted one day a week or even one day a month. Doesn't that sound stupid? Horace holds his head in his hands, and his shoulders shake. After a time, he gets up, squeezes a sponge over the broken boy's mouth, and leaves. While he coughs in the living room, the boy opens his eyes. The next day, Horace has a piercing headache and wakes up late. He fishes a tooth out of his mouth and slowly rolls onto his knees. He crawls out onto his deck and finds a pool of oil, a single tooth, a bloated bag of juice dangling over the edge of the railing, and a blackened, shriveled tomato. Poor baby, he says. When he crawls into the bedroom, he finds an empty bed. Stuck to the mirrored headboard is a note. It says, No, I don't think that's stupid. Kevin. After a few weeks, 
The rent was overdue, and the landlord, fearing something sinister, called the police. They knocked loud, shouted, and still silence. Eventually, they broke the door down and swept each room, but couldn't find Horace, despite the fact that his car was still in the driveway and hadn't been touched in weeks. They searched the area, the cornfields behind the complex, the woods near the park. They spoke to his neighbors. They called Megan, and they called Jerry at Crawford and Sons, but no one had heard from Horace. When they brought in detectives to search the apartment for clues, they were puzzled by a few human teeth on the bed in the middle of a large, copper-colored puddle of oil.